Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another edition of the One Ounce Pour. Today, I am excited for my guest. Um, I know that I say this every week, and each week I keep saying, well, no, I promise this time I'm the most excited, but it's true. Uh, I think two shows ago, I explained that uh, my sister was one of the people that I thought of when I was thinking up this show, but my guest today is Ryan And he is one of the other people I thought of when I was thinking up this show because he has some weird-ass hobbies. Well, thank you, Drew. I do indeed, and I am happy to talk about them. Well, I grew up doing a bunch of weird shit, and uh, (laughs) I still do. That's kind of the point of this podcast. But before we get started, go ahead and raise your ounce. I know you're in Oregon, so you have more than an ounce. Good for you. uh, Yeah, I have a couple ounces in here. (laughs) Chin, chin, and thanks for being a part of the show. Thank you for the invite. I listened to the first few episodes, actually listened to the first one, and got very excited about it, and uh, have really been looking forward to getting a chance to get on here and talk about whatever random crap comes up. Long-time listener, first-time caller, right? Exactly, exactly. (laughs) It's been a whole, what, four weeks now? Right? And again, when I thought of this show, I thought of Ryan, and he was one of the first people I text and said, hey, actually, no, I called you, and I said, we need you on this show right now. And you gave me and a honestly, bunch of bullshit excuses, but finally, here you are. <laughs> when you called me about it, I was a little bit dubious at first because everyone's got an idea for a podcast, and I wasn't really sure how it was going to fly. And then I heard the first episode with Brandon, and I thought, wow, Drew's actually really good at that. This is going to be cool. Thank you, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> not that you're not good at things, but most people have really like terrible podcasts the first few and you didn't so well, you know what it's uh it's all thanks to brandon that's that's all i gotta put out there is uh he's a good carrier he he hoisted me up on his shoulders and he took me to the promised land and i'm forever grateful for that so thank you brandon cheers to you uh sorry can't be here on this one he was actually on the last show was and I, I'm embarrassed to say this. Something went wrong, <laughs> and his mic was off the whole time. <laughs> oh, no. The yeah. one with your boss's boss? No, no, no. This is a different one. And uh, Oh, I'm sorry. It's okay. He was actually very outspoken the whole show, too, which makes it even better. And, uh, yeah. So, Brandon is on the last show. He just isn't there. That is. But he's there in spirit. He's there in he's spirit. There to help. And physically, but not there in voice. Right. Which is kind of the point of a podcast. You. So, It yeah. does help to have the vocals involved. <laughs> so uh, we're going to start the show off with what we always do, which is Hobby of the Week. And uh, we don't have Tom here to tell us enlightened stories about hiking. So there's 30 minutes gone. I think I'm going to start <laughs> with my hobby being, uh, <laughs> because Ryan is actually on the show, I'm going to start with, I'm, I'm going to try and juggle two of them. But I think it's going to be video games today. Okay. Because right. I know you were a gamer, so you'd appreciate that. And uh, yeah, I think uh, it's a hobby that I don't normally brag about because I'm a terrible video game player. Actually, just saying that makes me sound old. 
Embedded to video games. <laughs> the guy who platinum Skyrim on PS4. PS3. PS3. Oh. Yeah. And uh, yeah, well, anytime it's an open world, I'm good because I can just play around and not have to worry about anything too right. stressful. Take your time on it. And driving it. I love driving games. Open worlds and driving games. But if you combine the two and make them an open world driving game, I hate it. That's called GTA. Yeah, I'm not a fan. I like I like structure in my driving games, and then I like unstructured for just wandering around and uh, yeah, playing that open world RPG style. So I wouldn't say I game a lot. So I don't know if I'd call it a, a hobby that I I do a lot, but it's just about time. Yeah. Well, and you used to game a lot before you know kids and wife and all that stuff happened. Um, so I think it still counts as a hobby, even if you don't partake in it as much as you did in the past. That yeah. I, I'd, I'd claim that. I'd claim that. But the games that I'm playing now feel more like a hobby than other games. Just because you actually get into it and you can, there's a lot more structure and story to them. Makes them a lot more fun. So, And I that got a valid. PS5, so, you know, rub that in your face. Oh, wow. <laughs> Fancy pants over here, and I'm still rocking my OG Xbox One. Actually, yeah. as I'm sitting here, I'm looking at my Super Nintendo sitting on the table next to me, plugged into my TV. I think that the Super Nintendo is a true hobby video game system, though. So kind of in that vein, one of my hobbies, if you will, has been collecting original video game systems. And I've got them, you know, on Craigslist, and my girlfriend's got me a couple. And I've kind of gone through the list of, like, the original Nintendo and a Super Nintendo and a Sega Genesis and an N64 and getting all of the connections to try and make those work on a modern TV, which they really don't like to play on a... 55 inch flat screen tv you know you can make it work it just doesn't look good yeah because but that's that's ex- that's basically taking all the pixels and blowing them up right yeah yeah they're too low resolution and they run really well on an old like crt tv instead of on a plasma or an lcd so you've got to do a little bit of fumbling with settings and whatnot but there's a lot of adapters that make it work but it's really fun to plug in an n64 i know we've had a few friends of before and we've literally settled arguments with mario kart like whoever wins mario kart on n64 is the winner of the argument no way fans of butts and it's great because at the end of it everyone's happy again you know i gotta tell you mario kart's a game that will never die um i actually just got a switch and layla ellie and myself all sat down and played mario kart and it was phenomenal it was so much fun and then my nephew came over and absolutely destroyed me. Not even. <laughs> Let me guess. He owns it. Oh, oh yeah, oh yeah. And it wasn't yeah. even like close, because he used to come over and play the Spider-Man games, and I'd always be like, "Oh no, you got to do it like this." Oh no, 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 right. no, hold on, you got to do it like this. So I'm used to kind of being like, "Okay, you know what you're doing? Like, let's play." And he's like, "I, I swear, he hustled me." He's like, "Yeah, no, Uncle Drew, I got it. I, I think I got it. Let me figure it out." <laughs> Lapping me and stuff. I'm like, "Get out of here." So. What does this button do? Oh, that's go? Oh, yeah, I forgot. I've played 4,000 hours on this. And the new Switch, it, it helps the the people that can't disassociate turning the controller. Oh, really? So in the Switch, if you turn the controller, it actually turns the vehicle. Oh, see, I've never played a Switch. I haven't seen that before, but oh, that's man. cool. It, it, I like that. It's pretty awesome because with the N64, you know, you got to go over here, and then you got to go over here, and then you got to <laughs> right. like, push Right, turn your forward. whole body sideways. <laughs> When you get hit with that uh, blue spiky one, you just 
meltdown. Oh, and, God. Yeah. Right. And you get four people on a couch, and everyone's trying to turn at the same time or at different times and head bumping. And, <laughs> oh, it's a terrible thing. Brutal way to grow up, man. Brutal. Well, thank you for letting me share my hobby, Ryan. You're a great listener. But I kind of need to get into your hobbies because, boy, hey, howdy, are they weird. And <laughs> in the best kind of way. I mean, I would say you're a weird person, but Thanks. also in the best kind of way. So <laughs> I will take that in the best kind of way. Good, good. Because your hobbies match your personality, I feel. Well, I, I appreciate that. Um, so do you want the current hobbies or like rolling back to the OG weird ones and working our way up? So, how do you want to look through that? Well, first off, I need to tell the listeners how we met. Because we were yes, both in should. a psych class. And we our professor was kind of, uh, I don't know how to put it appropriately. Do you we, want me to put it? Yeah, I mean, you should put it, yeah. I mean, he was a heinous misogynist who was pretty shitty to everybody in the class. It's a great way to put it. I was trying to skirt <laughs> around you. it, but no, that's, that's a very direct. No, I'll skip right to it. <laughs> you said keep it clean, and that was clean. But I didn't know you at this point, and he would say some stuff. And uh, for those that don't know what Ryan looks like, he is a, uh, how would you describe yourself? Because I, I think we're under the same impression you're a hobbit, right? Yes, yes. Okay. Uh, my nickname is Frodo around Good. my family. Good. Um, so, yeah. Uh, short, stocky, bearded, furry, uh, <laughs> furry. like to <laughs> furry feet. You know, you got to get the hobbit aesthetic going. So anyway, we're in this class, and I didn't know Ryan, but I felt like I could know Ryan enough. Every once in a while, I'd just like look over, and he'd look over, and we'd be like, "What did that guy just I say?" I feel a tingling in my belly. <laughs> and then I stalked him in a parking lot, and I said, "Hey, how are you doing?" And he's like, "Good." And I'm like, uh, archery? And he goes, archery. And then we became that friends. That is how we started talking. That is exactly how we started talking. Just saying words at each other, and then friendship blossomed from there. My first full-fledged, and this is a bit of a tangent, but I feel like this show should be about tangents. My first like, really cemented full-fledged memory of Drew outside of that is he was responsible for me skipping class one day, which is something I didn't do. Like I work a full 40 <laughs> hours a week. And I also made it all my classes, all my homework. I was kind of really in it. I'd screwed off enough my freshman year that I really needed to make up some time. So anyways, Drew and I had talked about archery and hung out a little bit. And it was a lovely spring day. And Drew's like, hey, we've got, you know, it's only noon. Class is at four. Do you want to, like, come over and have a beer? And we went and bought some horrible, like, 14.5% beer called Spine Tingler. Yes, and Spine Tingler. on his back porch, and it was a terrible beer. It was It was god-awful. It me. was also, for a 22, it was a, like, $1.50. So, yeah, it was cheap and large. <laughs> it was cheap and but, got us drunk. <laughs> and we sat on the back porch, and I got drunk. And then I rolled <laughs> around, I thought, nope, nope. Let's get another one and just hang out. And that was the first time that I got drunk and skipped class. And yeah. that was a turning point in my life, I will tell you. I think you skipped class. I think I was done for the day. Just yeah, to clarify. that might have been it. <laughs> I, I do think that is accurate, actually. Also, you glazed over something. You were not of age. No, but the reason for that is we, and I did nothing wrong because uh, we did it all by the books. We went to our local grocer. We walked back. We grabbed beer. We walked to the front. I got ID'd. She looked at my ID, handed it back, scanned my beer. Then Ryan gets up. She doesn't ID him. And you're 18? No, I was I was 20. Oh, okay. But still, um, doesn't ID you. But 
Well, no, and to be fair, I have had a beard since I was 10. At one point, just to see if I could, I bought um, a bottle of Jack Daniels at 17 and just walked in and hand them a $20 bill, and they said, okay, have a nice day, and no one gave a crap. And I went home and I gave it to my dad, and he thought it was the funniest thing in the world. So I have always looked far older than I am, which I'm sure at some point will turn around on me, and I'm going to be thinking, oh, my God, I look way older than I should. Or you'll just but, stay like that forever. I feel like I'm going to be, you know, 38 years old from the time I was 12 until the time I'm 50. And then suddenly I'm going to be 80. <laughs> and there's not going to be a middle ground. It's just going to be like a, I don't know, like reverse Benjamin Button, just instant aging. You're going to go uh, from Hobbit to Dwarf real quick. Just exactly. Part of the proud Dwarven race with a big uh, braids in your beard. It'll be glorious. I did try that one time. You it were takes pretty a lot close. of You were pretty it. close. I think like last year, right? The thing was out of control. No, it was it was before I met Zana, my current girlfriend. I no, you guys you to... guys were dating when your beard was. I feel like I just talked to you and your beard was out of control. There may have been a little bit of it, but the longest was prior to her. Oh, okay. um, I I had it down to mid chest, and even then it was hard to braid. That uh, I think we have different definitions of out of control because anything past you know your neck, I think, is out <laughs> of control. Yours is like, well, it wasn't down to my belly button, you know. I could. <laughs> no, it was. It was upper upper to mid chest, and it was very much getting to the point where it was out of control. I realized how difficult it was to eat a hamburger at that point with a beard that was out of control, and I was like, you know what? I shouldn't have a problem eating a hamburger. No. And do you think that a beard is your hobby too? Just beardery, beard growing? There was a time it was. I will fully admit, I was like part of like I went to the oh god, there's a very famous like beard and razor shop in a few malls that i went to and i got really big in like the beard oils and i went to some beard competitions and stuff like that so there was a time it was a hobby and now it's just become more identity based than hobby based i guess i mean i wouldn't call it your identity you're more than just a beard ryan okay i, I look well, you in you the Drew. eyes i know where your eyes are i uh, i often <laughs> see your eyes wander a little bit buddy i know they wander <laughs> down all the time I'm like man is that <laughs> is that real how much did he it pay is. for that <laughs> It is. <laughs> Are those plugs? <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, so before, hold on, before we get into any <clears throat> hobbies, I think the listeners deserve to know what your degrees are in. Because oh. I want people to, I want, I want to paint a picture of Ryan here. He may look like a rugged, dumb mountain man, and he may do rugged, dumb mountain man stuff, <laughs> but I mean, you're kind of intelligent. Every, uh, it depends on who you talk to, but yeah. So I got my undergrad in general psychology, and then I went to University of Idaho in Moscow, and I got a master's degree in human factors psychology, which... Wait, slow it down, slow it down. Human I have factor psychology. Human factors psychology. <laughs> so generally speaking, I'm sorry, I get really excited when I, I talk you, about I... psych. I love it. So human factors psychology generally leads, generally leads into something called ux design or ux research and it's user experience it's a very hot field right now most of my cohort that i went to school with went to work for either the department of defense or blizzard entertainment uh one landed at disney so it tends to land you fairly cool spot i for various reasons worked in the medical field for a while and now work in construction because believe it or not there's more money and less drama there than there is in the psych field i love psychology i would love to get back into it 
but yeah, anyways, to your point, I do have a couple of degrees and spent many years in school racking up heinous amounts of debt that I'm still having fun <laughs> working on. And I really did enjoy going through the program, so I, I really love psych. I think by the time you were out of school, I moved. <laughs> yeah. It, it sure felt like that, at least. Well, yeah, because I was living in Ashland, still doing my senior year, when I helped you move to Utah. Oh, and that is an right. inside story of the day that we were supposed to get into U-Haul at 6.30 in the morning and leave. And due to events out of our control, we started our 14-hour trek at 12, 12.30 yep. in the afternoon. And we just drove and we drove and we drove and we got to Utah, to Salt Lake, or Draper, as it are. Yes, it is. As it are. As it are. <laughs> We got to Draper at, I don't know, four in the morning. Yeah. And then unpacked the U-Haul that night, or that day, really. Slept for a couple hours, got up, unpacked the U-Haul, and the next day turned around and drove it home. Oh, no. That we was... switched. We, I had to go get my Dodge. So we hooked up the trailer to my dad's truck and drove it out. That's true. Yeah. You drove the pickup home, and I slept most of the time because <laughs> I was wrecked. Uh, <laughs> yeah, we, un- we, we unpacked some... the U-Haul, and then we had to uh, get some libations in us to help with our muscle soreness. The one and only time I have smoked a cigar. Was that your your one and only time? The only time. And we smoked cigars and drank whiskey. I say cigars (laughs) like it was plural. I barely got through one. But I didn't know how to do it and ended up puffing through it way too quick, making myself sick. Oh, it was a night. As I'm watching Drew on the video sitting here puffing (laughs) on a cigar. Well, (laughs) I'm always grateful to have a friend like you because you'll just do it. And that's one of the cool parts about Ryan is that uh, if you ask Ryan to do something, if it's in his comfort zone, <laughs> usually he'll, he'll do it. Like one time he told me, hey, uh, I have a 50 cal musket. And I was like, I want to fire that. And he's like, cool, let's do it. And then we went and fired it. And it was amazing. It was crazy. I'm not much of a gun guy, but that was, I mean, that's history right in your hands and you're firing this old lead ball. (laughs) There's just all this (laughs) smoke everywhere. And the thing weighs, you know, what? 30 pounds. (laughs) Oh no, they're not that bad, but that one's probably 12. It's not light by any means, which actually does segue us pretty well into the hobby that drew had really had in mind when he invited me on this show. (laughs) Do you want me to dive into that one? Yeah. I want you to go whatever path you feel, but yeah, go down that road. Okay, buddy, I got you. (laughs) (laughs) So I grew up doing a event that we called rendezvous. And rendezvous is an old French word, actually, that just means gathering. Um, So back in the, like, fur trap era, you know, 1700s into the 18s, um, the mountain men, who were the folks who generally lived out in the woods, and they would trap beaver and uh, various other woodland creatures and take their pelts and bring them in and sell them. Um, the mountain man would go up in the woods all winter long, and every spring they would come down and have a rendezvous where they all gathered, resupplied, got all their gear fixed, bought new, um, you know, new ammunition, whatever they needed. Then they go back in the woods for another year of roughing it and trying to trap animals and hunt and do whatever else they wanted to do or needed to do. So Rendezvous was really an excuse for a bunch of us weirdos to dress up like it was pre-1840, go camp in the woods for anywhere from 3 to 14 days, 
and pretend that it was primitive times. It was 200 years ago, so there's nothing modern, no modern tennis shoes. You're wearing leather moccasins or leather boots. You, the first day you drive in with your car and you set up your tent and everything, and then you go park your car out of sight, and everything is primitive from there on out until the end of the rendezvous. And you would have competitions of like archery shooting or throwing tomahawk and knife or shooting muzzleloaders or muskets, uh, black powder rifles and pistols and whatnot, and a lot of drinking and carousing and hanging out and songs by the fire and you know not quite kumbaya but drinking songs. What was that? So we have a, a I don't know we call it a parasite in here or <laughs> <laughs> one of one of the benefits of. Uh, doing this show in a cigar room that I don't own is that sometimes people just come in and sit down and smoke cigars too. So ignore the background chatter. Go ahead, Ryan. I do apologize there. I got <laughs> sidetracked. It may be the copious alcohol I've consumed that's making me distractible. <laughs> For those who are not privy to the beginning of our conversation, uh, today, a little sidebar here, today I was playing Dungeons & Dragons with a good friend of mine, and we started with the drinking around 10. And it is now 7.30, and it has been a dull, steady roar all day, which is great, but a little bit difficult to stay focused at times. Depending. These are the kind of people I want to interview, just people that have been day drinking all day. <laughs> I rarely <laughs> ever do this, to sit down and have lengthy <laughs> conversations about hobbies uh, they may or may not want to tell other people about. <laughs> I am so stoked to tell other people about this, you have no idea. Oh my gosh, I've tried so hard to get people to come to these rendezvous and i've gotten a few and it's fun because everyone thinks it's weirder than hell and it absolutely is there's no no doubt about that and then people show up and they look around and they say wow it's a bunch of redneck weirdos having a great time camping and it's so relaxing and everybody loves it rendezvous are one of my favorite things sadly i haven't done one in four or five years because circumstances of the world because you got a of- girlfriend <laughs> <laughs> No, uh, circumstances that, of the world. Ryan got a girlfriend. <laughs> I did, but believe it or not, she is into it. No, she wants to go. What so badly? Yeah. So, I I guess it's been more than four or five years. I grew up doing it, and it was very much a family event. And when my family quit doing it, I went to a few by myself, and it wasn't nearly as fun without the whole family. So I kind of quit going because you know the whole point was to go have a weekend camping with your family as well as a bunch of other cool people. But now that the girlfriend keeps saying, hey, I really want to go do that, we might have a bit of a, a revival of that. We'll have to see how it goes. I, I need a full report afterwards. <laughs> oh, there will be pictures and literary sources and citations and everything you could ask for. Blackmail. <laughs> <laughs> there was nothing that could happen there that could blackmail me. I hope. Well, I wasn't talking about you. Mm, I see. Yes. I see. <laughs> So, anyways, yeah, the rendezvous are are kind of the primary hobby that I had growing up, and that sparked most of my other hobbies. Okay, but because... we're going to do the show a little differently today. Oh. Yeah, I know. So, normally we go through the hobby, we talk about it, we get into stories, and then at the very end I ask all of my uh, written down questions that I have on cue cards. But today, we're going to ask those written down cue card questions during each hobby that's how exciting ryan is as a guest is i know that we can get into at least six hobbies that people are going to be like what so i feel so special i know you should feel special you're the bell of the ball to start thanks bud oh 
How does somebody get into rendezvousing? <clears throat> rendezvousing. So that is actually a hard question in so far as it's kind of a dying thing. And that's really sad to say, but it's true. Most of the members tend to be old timers, but you're going to have to jump on your computer and just look up if there are any mountain man clubs. And yes, that is what it will be called. It's the official um, mountain man club. Yeah, so it's really, it's a fairly common thing to find them along the West Coast and in a lot of the Eastern states. I don't know about the central portion of the country because there's obviously a ton of history in the East with, you know, people who've done this, especially in places like Pennsylvania and the Carolinas and whatnot. But you can Google Mountain Man Club in, like I live in Southern Oregon, so Mountain Man Club in Southern Oregon, and you're going to bring up Little Butte Mountain Man Club. And hopefully... They have modernized just enough that they have kind of a website. It won't be good, I promise you. It won't be good. <laughs> I mean, bear in mind, these are folks who really enjoy pretending it's pre 1840, so don't expect the internet to work well. <laughs> but That's a full-time job for them, is pretending they're in the past. Exactly, exactly. And I would like to point out with, with this, it's different than reenacting. And that is one thing that I've had a hard time kind of parsing out with people in the past. Um, everyone thinks, oh, it's like Civil War reenactments. Kind of insofar as that that's kind of your time frame, but that's really the extent of it. The reenactments really tend to go for like historical accuracy and here's what happened here and here's what happened here. And the rendezvous in the Mountain Man Club is really about, hey, these are really cool and it's a really cool part of history, but it's a great excuse just to go camp and to try something a little bit different. So to roll back to your question, yeah, just look up local Mountain Man Clubs. Generally speaking, every club I've been to has been very, very friendly to newcomers, especially because they don't have too many newcomers. You can honestly usually just show up to a rendezvous and walk in in your modern-day clothes, and some may have local club shoots or smaller events that you can go to. But just show up and walk in in your modern-day clothes and say, hey, what is this all about? Can you guide me? And I guarantee you will have people lining up to talk to you about it. Because we're all nerds. We're all giant nerds who think it's cool. And some are really into the firearms some are really into the history and the mountain men who came and did this or that. Some are really, really interested in like the Native American aspect of it because there's a lot of that too. So you'll have a whole slew of people who want to tell you what they nerd out about. And it's, it's really, really newbie friendly. And that's one thing uh, I found about this show. It doesn't matter what your hobby is. You're a fucking nerd. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And you're proud to be a nerd. I mean, I don't care if it's, you know, shooting or archery or working on cars or whatever, you're a nerd. <laughs> nerd out yep. about your hobby. And it's funny because with all the guests that I've had, all four of them, <laughs> every <laughs> single person has like lit up when you're like, oh, so what's your hobby? <laughs> because well, yeah, that's what propels you to do it every you know, whether it be weekend or spring or whatever. And uh, that was something, you were so unashamed of that hobby. And not that there should be any shame with that hobby, but, you know, like you get nervous telling people about your, your likes and whatnot. But I just remember, like, watching you tell people about that and just be like, wow, he really enjoys <laughs> dressing up like a mountain man and going out in the woods and chucking tomahawks. <laughs> Absolutely, without a doubt. And yeah, it. I think something you said kind of early on in the show, you've surrounded yourself with really interesting people who are very passionate 
And there are some folks who just don't have a passion. That's fine. You know, to each their own. I'm not going to not gonna deride anybody. But most of your friends tend to be really passionate about whatever it is. And that does tend to make for more interesting conversation because you get people come up with weird crap like me. And you're like, wow, that's bizarre. But I'm intrigued. And it <laughs> makes I it more fun. But I want to do that. <laughs> exactly. It's weird and scary. And I like it. <laughs> so speaking of weird and scary... Has this hobby ever gotten you into trouble? Ish. That's a long pause. That was a really, <laughs> really long pause there. Huh. <laughs> yeah. So, in general, no. The only way it's gotten me in trouble is rather tangential. One of the primary substances that people like to imbibe while at Rendezvous is a drink called apple pie or moonshine apple pie. That's a, that's a pretty universal get-you-in-trouble drink. It is. It is. So I learned about it at the rendezvous, and I never got in trouble at a rendezvous. And also bear in mind that I was probably 20, 21, give or take, when I really quit going these regularly. So I didn't party hard at all. I was always with my parents. There wasn't really time to go get in trouble. And I recognized, I stated that, that some kids absolutely would have, but I, Drew can attest to this, I was a freaking goody two-shoes for most of my life growing <laughs> up. Um, I think more than Drew even expected after he met me. There are definitely times when he looked at me and said, wow, okay, I guess we're just going to have to avoid that one because <laughs> I was a lot more of a good dude than he expected. Um, it's all good. No, it's, I mean, it is what it is. You know, everyone grows at their own rate and I was terrified of anything going wrong. So I just did everything by the book. But I tried apple pie a few times at the rendezvous, thought it was cool, looked up a recipe online, made five gallons of it at home because if you're going to do it, do it right. Wait, five gallons for who? Whoever. Oh, okay. Yeah, so I gave away two or three gallons, and then anytime I got invited to a party in college, I would just pack along a gallon of pie. <laughs> and I left a trail of broken bodies behind me with that stuff. Because everyone thought, oh, no, I can take it. I'm like, hey, go slow. No, I'm good. And they weren't. And I was often amongst the broken, at least a few times. So that is that is probably the only time the rendezvousing has got me in trouble. You know, I was saying that question, and then I was remembering who was asking that question too, and I was like, "There's no way he ever got in trouble because it's Ryan. You had a, you had all the safety exits marked. You were you were good." <laughs> there are things I have gotten in trouble with. I will not pretend otherwise. But but not many for another day. <laughs> for another day. So, segueing well, off of your your prior hobby, I think you were about to go into three-gun? Yeah. Uh, ish. Okay. So, yeah, we'll get there in a second. So, growing up in that, I had only really ever shot, like, black powder rifles, which is a, a musket or a muzzleloader growing up, and, you know, a hunting rifle and a little twenty-two here or there or whatever. And I hunted during high school a little bit, but really could never bring my stuff to actually shoot an animal because I felt horrible about doing so. So really, my only exposure to guns was the black powder rifles. When I hit, I had a rough experience at some point where we lived out in the woods. This is, a, again, tangential. Hey, you're going to have a lot of tangents tonight. Oh, I And hope, that's not just the whiskey talking. I hope that we have a whole bunch of, like, uh, I don't know, stuff I'm going to pretend like I'm going to edit out and then I won't. And then people will be like, man... I really like the show, but I just hated when uh, you guys decided to talk for a half hour about, you know, Immigrant Lake and how disgusting it is. 
I mean, oh, you should see Agate Lake, buddy. Is it even no, still a lake? <laughs> it is a lake, but it's mostly algae. It's pretty horrendous. Ugh. So, um, no, there was a... We lived out in the woods, pretty rural, and we had animals of all sorts. And when I say rural, it wasn't middle of nowhere, but you couldn't see any other houses. So it was pretty out of the way. And long and short, we had a mountain lion come on the property, wound a deer really badly. And my dad and my brother were working out of town. So my mom's like, hey, dude, I need you to come help me put this deer down. In doing so, I realized I had no idea how to use a handgun. And that scared the hell out of me to not know how it functioned and how to use it safely. So when my dad got home from his trip, I said, hey, that was scary. I didn't like it. Can you teach me how to use a handgun? Train me on it. About six months later, we'd been you know, shooting at the house. I went and bought a little twenty-two pistol and started shooting pistol competitions with it. Just to familiarize myself, to get good with it, to learn. Wait, and how old were you? In that, uh, 18, I believe. Wait, um, you started that whole journey at 18? The shoot, yeah. I thought, I, for some reason, in my brain, I pictured you at like five years old, like spinning a revolver in your hand, being like, <laughs> hey, I'm Ryan. <laughs> no, and that with a beard. surprised a lot of people. <laughs> Because um, as most people who know me now, I'm a relatively facile with guns. I tend to shoot quite a bit, and I have a fairly stout collection. But no, I all of it started because at 17, I had a horrible experience shooting my dad's Browning high power 9mm at a poor, very injured deer on the ground in front of me, and it was just terrible. So after that, I'm like, no, no, no. I don't like this feeling of helplessness or inability to do this. I need to learn. So my dad helped me buy the first pistol, which in Oregon you can do. You know, every state has laws against or about handgun ownership, which I'm not going to dive into. But uh, I started shooting competitively a thing called speed steel, which is just standing in one spot and shooting steel plates in front of you in uh, as short a time as possible. And I did that for a few years, thought it was super duper cool, and then just kind of slowly started branching out. And I got into long range competition shooting 600 and 1,000 yard matches with a, a gun that has kind of been being built since I was 18. And I've tried basically every kind of competition, shooting competition you could ask for. I've done uh, archery competition, cowboy action competition, which is like revolvers and shotguns and lever actions, speed steel. And then to what Drew was talking about, Eventually, I learned about an event called Three Gun, which, as you could expect, is three guns, and you're running around with a rifle, a pistol, and a shotgun, safely running around, I should add, um, shooting at a variety of targets over a course. And it is an absolute ball, very athletic, and I am not athletic, so it's always an interesting thing to try and breathe after you've run 400 yards. But Three Gun has kind of been the... the well, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. You're athletic in other ways. You're, you can, like what, Drew? What do you mean, like what? <laughs> we used to no, work um, out. We used to work out together, and we'd warm up with did. our mile run, and you died, and then you out deadlifted me because your short little hobbit legs only needed like two inches to move to get the weight off the ground. This is very true. Um, being hobbit sized but monkey armed was very helpful. I'm not as short as you would expect. I'm five seven, but I have short legs and long arms. Which is great because, as Drew says, when you're doing deadlifts or squats, you have a very small range of motion you have to go. He used um, to piss me off so much. We'd, I'd be sitting there, <laughs> and you have to, I mean, I have to pull it all the way up, and Ryan's like, done. 
<laughs> and then I discovered sumo deadlifts, oh which is where God. you spread your legs out wide and it drops your hips lower. And then I had an even shorter distance to move, and it was straight up cheating. But by God, I did it. I need to have a hot key on on my uh, little pod thing that just uh, blurts out like tangent alert, and then we can get back onto it. <laughs> so, <laughs> you just need to every twenty seconds you hit that button, dude. Just tangent alert. Um, <laughs> Okay, so three gun, you're not athletic in running, but you're very strong. Moving on. Yeah, I, <laughs> I did the powerlifting thing in college and everything, and it was fantastic. But then I left and joined the workforce and got fat. So, you know, here we are. I can run a bit. Happens I to the best mile, of us, man. I won't like to it. Like I said, the three gun thing is probably the current biggest hobby in the shooting world. Now, are you still currently doing this? I haven't gone in about a year, to be honest with you. There is a... Uh, if you're not in the gun world, you won't know this, but there has been a nationwide ammunition shortage and ammunition price hike. And because of that, it's very hard to want to go burn up a couple hundred rounds of ammo per gun to have fun. So, And when you um, say per gun, I know that there's only three guns, but I also need to paint another picture of Ryan. Uh, he used to have a duplex. Was is that what you call it in Ashland? You were in a uh, duplex townhouse. Townhouse. I was in a townhouse. He was in Two a townhouse house. that was uh, fifty yards away from an elementary school, and he was in oh, the no. oh no, <laughs> he was in the top window of this townhouse, and he had you had your loading station up there. Uh, you had your safe. My favorite part was helping him move all this stuff and walking upstairs thinking we were done moving the at this point like 20 guns that we just moved down and ryan being like okay and then he opens up some other magic door inside of there and is like here's more here's a, oh wait and then pulls out from under his bed here's a couple and grabs a shoe from his closet and empties out some you know different little pistols out of his shoe and you're kind of hoarding guns aren't you no Long pause again? Right. I like it. <laughs> Long pause. I was debating how far to go with this one. For clarity's sake, and I don't mean to argue against you, I am very, very much in the camp of all your guns go in the gun safe. I, so I had I, I'm being I'm being ridiculous. I know. I know. He was a very safe I had gun, gun owner. Stashed everywhere. There was gun shit everywhere, but the actual guns were in the safe. But I did say, hey Drew. Um, which, might I add, you and your buddy showed up very hungover yeah. to help me move. I did. Um, but I still helped I you move, didn't I? You did. And uh, Drew helped me move the 700-pound gun safe down the staircase. And that was exactly what I needed him for in all reality. He could have fucked off for the rest of it, which he did. <laughs> and helped me move that one thing, and we were good. You're only using me for my body. Basically, that day I was. I don't. I was think, too busy. I don't think I've ever thought, "Oh my God, drinking's gonna kill me." Like <laughs> that day when we were moving that safe, and I was safe. like, "I think this is yeah." I could be seriously injured right now, but we were safe. This we, is the end. We had m- multiple people. Uh, I was underneath the safe, the safest part of the safe, and uh, luckily I had you know Muscle Man Cody behind me there to catch me in case everything went wrong. So, yeah, we were good. <laughs> <laughs> no, we made it work for sure. But, yeah, there. Uh, when I lived in the townhouse, I had, you know, all of my stuff stashed everywhere because it's not the a town, whole lot of good The space. townhouse 
That was 50 yards across the street from an elementary school. I want to make sure we're clear on where it is <laughs> in case people want to know, you know, like, oh, Google Maps. So. And again, I was always safe, but there definitely was a time when I was um, mounting a new scope on my long range rifle. <laughs> oh my and I was going to boresight it, which is where you like look through the barrel and look through the scope and try and get a point at the same spot. And as I, like, set myself up to do this, I looked out the window and thought, wait. <laughs> oh no, no. Point the other way, dude. Out the back window, not the front. Uh, yeah. Lee Harvey Ryan just sighting in his scope. Shit. Uh, and then he took the lipstick. He took the lipstick and crossed Drew's name off on the wall and was like, he's a good guy. He's a good guy. He, he passes this round, at least. <laughs> So and why do you collect now, so many guns? Huh? Is this a hobby? What's going on? It is a hobby. Um, there are some that have sentimental values. I've got a good handful that were given to me by grandparents or parents. And I really don't use them a ton, but they've got a bunch of sentimental value. And they're just cool. The second portion of it is I really like usable guns. So I've got a number that are for hunting different critters. Now, um, when, you, when you say a number, ballpark. Like, total that I own or for hunting only? Let's go total that you own. I mean, wait, hold on. Is there a limit that you have to say in order to not be on a watch list? Because you can stop. Oh, I'm already on the watch list, dude. (laughs) I'm already on there. I have class three stuff, which is like suppressors and short-barreled rifles and stuff like that, which you go through an FBI background check that takes a full year to do. I've got some of that, so it's not like there's a, a watch list I'm not on already. I've got, I think, 23, 24 guns in total between rifles and handguns which is about my max because you can't fit anywhere in my gun safe like at this point if i buy a new one i've got to sell one because there's no room which is kind of a good control in in all reality i remember these uh back deck talks of ryan trying to like we all have our you know oh i'm trying to do this in order to do this and ryan (laughs) would just come over drink all my liquor and be like i'm just so torn you know i got i got this one gun and it does this one thing really well, but I, I could make it better or I could get this gun. That's already better. And there's, I don't know why you asked us. None of us had an answer that suited you. <laughs> None of us knew what we were talking about <laughs> because I enjoyed talking to you. Even if it was nonsense. Yeah, all right. There you go. <laughs> no, um, I have said tangent, tangent, tangent alert. <laughs> I've since learned how to be discerning with my purchases so some guns are for hunting, some are for competition, some are nostalgic. And I have the only thing I collect, if you will. My soft spot is really, really unique 50s and 60s guns out of Sweden and Belgium and Finland. It's like Seikos and Tikas and old uh, Belgian Brownings and things like that. So I kind of keep an eye out for when these cool old guns show up that people don't really know what they are, but they're supreme quality Really, really high-end machinery, all metal parts, really well fit, really well put together. I really enjoy getting those. And even if I don't use them, I'll still take up the gun range. I'll shoot them, play with them, learn them. And then those are just a collective piece. There's no need for that, but they're damn cool. And I like them. <laughs> um, I think you're in good company with, there's no reason for this, but it's damn cool. So <laughs> I, I figured you would understand. Um, the majority of them do have a particular use of some sort. Do you need twenty? No. Well, but let's let's follow up. Need on, is not part of this. Let's follow up on this. Not only are we going to talk about three gun in this 
question, but also your collection, because has it ever gotten you in trouble? Oh, hell yes. I just hit the wrong button. Oh, he hit the wrong button. I was ending the show on you right there. (laughs) Oh, don't end the show on me. Has it ever gotten you in trouble? And cue out. (laughs) And Ryan just disconnected. All right. So continuing, has collecting and or uh, the three gun ever gotten you in trouble? Financial, for sure. As with any hobby, they can take a financial toll on things. And uh, there's been more than once when I've either overspent on something or bought more than I should have or whatever, as anyone will. But the primary instance of this is I may have gotten my first like big adult paycheck when I got out of school and thought, oh, I have money now. And I got my second paycheck and I thought, wait, I still have the money from the first one. This is new. And I grew up relatively poor, like not poor, poor. We ate every day. We had heat. Everything was great, but we didn't do much else. So a lot of money to me was like anything over a grand and I was rolling in it. <laughs> um, so a few months after I got my first adult job, I went out and bought a ridiculously high end semi-automatic 308 rifle. Made wait, by wait, wait, wait. Was this the, the splatter one? The, the splatter one. I don't know if... It looked like it had like spray paint splatter on it or something. Oh, it was carbon fiber. Yeah. It's a carbon fiber one. That's the one that I shot, right? Yeah, you shot it. It gives you a headache every time you shoot it? Yeah. Yeah, it's yeah, ridiculous. I love it. So this was far too much money to spend on a single gun, or at least on this particular gun, for the station that I was at. But my dumbass went out and said, shit, I've got all this money. I'm going to drop $3,600 on this gun. And I did. Stop. Stop. Hold on. I just hit I the know. table aggressively because I was like, wait, what? Thirty six hundred dollars for a rifle. Yep. I think I actually got on sale for three grand. But yeah, it was way too much money. And looking back, I could see that I could have got something for twelve hundred that did the same thing. But and this is young- pure. This is pure ignorance here. I mean, and again, I'm going to show all my cards no, here fine. with this question. Don't they all kind of do the same thing? Not yes and no. Yes and no. So you've got And I purposely asked that question ignorantly because I understand a pistol is different than a rifle. Uh-huh. But explain the th- yeah. the the 3 grand purchase of a rifle to me cuz I am that is like Okay. So that is not explainable. Okay. Like, that's just not explainable. <laughs> that's that's your this is where I got in trouble moment. Okay. This is where I got in trouble exactly. Um so to actually answer your question, you know, you've got a pist- or a handgun and a rifle, of course. One is handheld, one is shoulder-mounted, basically. In the rifle category, which is what this was, you have semi-automatic versus full-automatic versus, like, a bolt action or a lever action. Basically different ways for the gun to cycle itself and to fire. What I had bought was a semi-auto, which means that every time you pull the trigger, it shoots around. And gives you a headache. It, it gives you a headache or gives you a headache because it's kind of a wuss. Um, sorry, that was a cheap shot. No, it's good. Uh, when it t- comes to uh, any kind of firearm, I will be the first person to admit that I'm a fucking I'm a fucking wuss. I don't. Well, <laughs> I think a lot of it you haven't had a whole lot of time around them. You know, it's not something you ever did much. Yeah, it's not. It's not one of my hobbies yet. Maybe yeah. who knows? I'm in Utah. I'm in the land of guns here, so maybe it might become my true. hobby. This is true. So yeah. Anyways, long and short, this was semi-automatic, which means that every time you pull the trigger. It reloads itself, and you can pull the trigger again to shoot another one. And I was buying this four three gun. I had just recently gotten into oh, three gun. Oh, okay, stop. This is your AR, 
or yes, like bodied. I don't know what B body rifle. <laughs> B body. I'm just going off Mopar specs here. This thing's a gotcha. a, a big bodied rifle. Yeah. Okay. Good. Yeah, she's a big bitch. I was thinking. Um, you know what I'm talking about though. That one doesn't give me the headache. It, I'm talking about the 308 that. Oh. Looks like it has paint or the sniper rifle. Uh, Looks uh, like a sniper, sniper rifle. Yeah. Okay. There we go. I knew you didn't want to say that, but we're just gonna do and, it. And and you own that sniper rifle when you lived in the townhouse, fifty yards yeah. from the school, right? Yeah, that's the one that I was okay, on the school okay, okay. Where I realized I might <laughs> there, thought. There we go. Okay. I thought do it like that. Full circle. Um. <laughs> so yes, that one has actually got a lot more gentle. It. Uh, it has a silencer on it now, so life is very quiet. There's no more headaches with that gun. I'm not laughing. Actually, no, I'm laughing. Why do you need a silencer for this thing? You don't need it, but you could have it, and it's super cool. The deer will never hear me coming. That gun's too heavy to pack. I don't shoot that hunting. Oh. Um, that's purely for like long-range shooting. Because we'll go out and we'll shoot a mile out to like 18, 1900 yards with that gun. Which is ridiculous and wonderful to do. It's very fun. <laughs> okay, so true, speechless. Back on, <laughs> just like <laughs> everything I own, you usually take parts off of it to make it louder. So, um, back onto onto the subject here. Uh, I don't even know what the subject was. So three thousand dollar rifle. Yeah, you got in trouble because you spent three thousand dollars. That's more than people spend on mountain bikes. Uh, you could buy a fairly good motorcycle dirt bike with that kind of monies. Uh, I'm trying to think what else mm-hmm. you can do with that money. You can do a lot. Most, all of my cars combined. It's a down payment on a car. Um, you oh, just you buy a car outright me. with that. Um, you don't need to tell me all the ways I financially messed okay. up. On okay, good, good. The good part is when I sold it, I got 28 back out of it. So I didn't and go backwards too you much. You didn't have a girlfriend at this point. Oh God, no! That's a, that explains how you were able to get away with this purchase. You know the cool part? I can still go buy shit with this girlfriend. It doesn't matter. But anyways, long and short, the reason why that gun was a lot of money is it was a very high-end manufacturer in theory. It ended up being kind of a lemon, and it was all carbon fiber parts. So it was a very big, heavy-duty gun made with carbon fiber furniture, which made it really light. So it's kind of best of both worlds. So, and that's why it got expensive. To go back to the carbon fiber aspect of it, I mean, you're into archery, you know. When you mm-hmm. you should have carbon fiber practice arrows, and then you should have carbon fiber hunting arrows because you don't want any splintering. Right. This gun's made of that. Parts of it are. Oh, not so, not like the the barrel, right? The barrel is a steel sleeve surrounded by carbon fiber because it helps with heat dissipation. But the actual part the bullet travels through is steel. And the receiver, which is a part that like houses the explosion that happens when you pull the trigger, that's all steel. But the stock and the foregrip and the outer part of the barrel, all of that was carbon fiber, which made it a lot lighter. Gotcha. Um, in retrospect, I could have gotten a similarly function- functioning gun that weighed a pound and a half more for a quarter of the price. <laughs> But, but you were doing three gun and you needed the best, right? I thought so. No, I mean that's that's part of a hobby. Is is you think? Well, hey, I'm gonna get into this hobby. Then you get into it, and then you're like, wait, I deserve the best. So then you sell the slightly. You could definitely get away with it, and then you get the best. 
I think mm-hmm. this is a very relatable topic in the hobby realm because I did not need the top line KTM for dirt biking right. because I sucked. But I definitely <laughs> wanted it. <laughs> but you wanted it, exactly. I think I could have yeah, bought two Yamahas for it. So, <laughs> And one thing I learned with that is I, I did end up selling that gun because um, it was big, it was oversized, it shot a 308, so it beat me up after shooting a couple hundred rounds a day. And I learned that I could do more with less once I got more skilled. I was really overcompensating for not being as skilled, and I didn't realize that. I thought, okay, I'm hamstrung by the guns I have now, so I need to step up. But I didn't need to step up that far. And that was, you know, uh, if we're going to add a lesson here, it was definitely a learning moment of, hey, maybe I don't need to have all of this here. I just need a smaller AR-15 that's actually built properly and tuned properly and that I practice with a ton. Because in all reality, practice ammo is worth far more than any mods to your gun at the end of the day. So, so when when you say like practice ammo, are you saying like you're shooting a 308 and it's more expensive versus in just pure ignorance here, I apologize again, like a 5.56 five, five, or mm-hmm. something like that? I mean, is that like when so, you say practice ammo, it, it's less umph in the bullet or what? No, what, what I was meaning there... Um, in 3-Gun, uh, I have to answer that question with two answers. In 3-Gun, there's different divisions, and they're based on what caliber your guns are and what modifications you have on the guns. I was shooting a division called Heavy, which was a 308 rifle, a 12-gauge pump shotgun, and a 45 pistol, which some listeners may know what those are, some may not. Basically, it was a great big oversized everything. It was ridiculous, and I was so happy... Because I'm this short, stout dude who could pack that much weight. And most <laughs> of the guys shooting couldn't carry enough ammo to shoot horse. And I was like, let me just get out my bag of holding and run through everything. So you were never over-encumbered? I was never over-encumbered. <laughs> so I quit shooting that division eventually and went to a 5.56 rifle, which is smaller in every capacity. And I learned that what I was trying to say there with my practice ammo thing is that time spent on the range using ammunition to practice with your gun is worth more than buying cool, fancy modifications for your gun. Once it's set up, you have a good scope, you have a good trigger, and everything functions well, quit fucking with your gun and spend the money you would spend on modifications on practice ammo instead and then go shoot and learn how to shoot. And that's what I finally took away from it is that you just got to do it. Can't buy skill. You can't buy skill. You can buy all the cool, fancy bikes you want, but if you don't go ride, you won't be a better rider. That's a fact. <laughs> so, it, yeah, it was the same deal. So I have since pared down my collection to things that I will use and that I know how to use and that are not as overboard as that particular rifle was. But to come full circle, yes, I did get myself in trouble with that one because I was also new to the world of credit cards, and that took a while to figure out. <laughs> that, that takes everybody a while. So how does somebody get into, and I don't want to say collecting guns because that's easy. You go to buy guns. You just and, go buy shit. Yeah. I mean, that's crazy. But uh, how does somebody get into, <laughs> that's like a whole different topic right there. That's a different, I would love to talk about that, but that's not this podcast here. <laughs> no, and I don't think I should ever talk about that. Um, Probably fair. How does somebody get into three guns specifically? What, what does it take? What are the criteria 
Um, obviously, you need to have three guns, right? Yes, if you want to run it with your stuff. I can only speak to the club that I shoot with. I can't speak to other clubs, but I would like to think that they're all going to be like-minded. We love new people coming out because anytime we get a show off our nerd dub and say, hey, look at this cool event that we're in, we really enjoy it. So we've had people show up to our club here. Is it is it the Ashland Gun Club? No, it's ah, uh, it. the Josephine <laughs> County Gun Club. Okay, I mean, that's still cool, but I still remember going and playing uh, archery golf with you, and that was... It was a lot of fun, especially because I ridiculous. won that last crazy shot. You did. Mm, you had to buy you me, did. We you to buy me dinner, didn't time, you? That was great. I think I bought you a lot of beers and dinner at Caldera that night. You did. Oh, that See, Caldera. for those that don't know, there's golf, uh, there's disc golf, and then there's the even better version of it, archery golf, and you need to find some place. I'm going to try and find some place in Utah that does this. Because that is a hobby I need to get back into. That was so much fun. Or you just fly out to me and we go do our trick golf here. That turns into quite the expensive hobby. Well, you know, since you're willing to just toss three grand at a gun, you'd probably be more than willing to toss three grand at your homie for coming out, right? Different times, my oh, good friend. Oh, you have a girlfriend now. No, I have a house payment <laughs> and a roof <laughs> payment and student loans. <laughs> They're very uh, different they times. Adulthood. Very different Ah, adulting. I love it. I was going to say I love it and hate it, but no, I really just love it. Everyone's like, oh, I wish I could go back to high school. Fuck that, man. I like being an adult and having money to play with and time to do stuff. Yep. Yeah. So Um, getting back into tangent alert, (laughs) getting back into three gun. Let's get into it. To get into three gun, you could literally find your local three gun place. And some places don't have them. It's not a super duper common thing in some areas but if you can find a local range that does three gun get the schedule drive out there and roll up and say hey i've never done this can i watch and you watch for a day and you see how it goes and i guarantee you just like with their on everything people will want to walk you through it and tell you all the cool things about it and you watch for a day and if you like what you see you come back to the next shoot and you say hey i don't own any of these guns can I borrow guns? Or you make an arrangement with someone on the first day you go there and you say, hey, I want to come back next week, next month, whenever. Can I shoot your guns? And I guarantee you, 90% of the people there will be happy to offer up a loaner gun. Most of us have spare guns that we can use. And if they don't, you can share very easily. You know, if you got to pitch the guy 20 or 30 bucks in ammunition costs, that's always appreciated. But if you don't have that, we'll still let you shoot. It's a very inclusive environment from the clubs that I have seen. I, again, I can't speak for every club, but we want everyone to have the same joy and fun that we have. So if you show up and say, teach me, I want to learn, we would happily do so. In terms of what you need if you want to do it yourself, basically you need a standard handgun, an Air 15 rifle, or any sort of semi-automatic rifle. It could be a old Chinese SKS, as far as I'm concerned, and some people do it with that gun, and a shotgun of some sort. Semi-automatic pump, whatever you got. The the funny quote, if you will, is run what you brought. Whatever you have in your closet, bring it out, shoot it, have fun. And if you like it, you're going to end up going and buying good shit. That's just how it's going to go. If you don't like it, cool. Then you learned, and it's not for you, and that's fine too. But there's definitely a way to make pretty much anyone's setup work for that sport to test it out hmm 
Okay. Do they have a vintage class? They do, yes. as it were. Depends on the club and depends on what you're doing. I have, and I shit you not, seen two old 75-year-old guys out there, at mid-70s probably. Oh, I meant vintage M1... guns, not people. No, hear me. <laughs> <laughs> hear me out. These two old boys were out there with like World War II era 1911s in 45, M1 Garands in 30 out 6, and 1887 pump action shotguns. Or I guess that's a lever shotgun. So, funny story. And the reason I ask... A ball. The reason I ask is because we have World War One style guns. Because that... that uh, Okay. Uh, I'm going to sound like a... The what? Browning shotgun that I have like is Browning, like... Your A5? Is that what it is? I showed you a I picture of it. Browning A5. Yeah. And it's... Uh, you know, pump action, 12 gauge that can break down in half for parachuters oh, and stuff. That's not an A5. I don't know then. I don't. Yeah. And then the second gun is that 3040 Craig that I have. Uh huh. And then I just need to find some kind of old pistol. And then I think I could so just that would be go and do the vintage class, right? That would be a little bit harder, primarily from ammunition constraints. It'd be a very expensive run, is what you're saying. <laughs> <laughs> well, it'd be super expensive, and the rifle is where you get a little bit hamstrung. The shotgun, you know, it's going to hold three or four rounds. You're just going to reload it a hell of a lot. Yes. Maybe you go get an old... I mean, you could get a 1911, because that is World War One vintage, really. If we want to be technical about things, you can get 1911, run that. But the rifle, you might have 40 or 50 or more rifle shots in a day. And to do that with a five-round bolt action... We'll take you forever. <laughs> uh, you're welcome to try, but don't do it, buddy. I'll be I'll be the guy at the timed event that they're like, okay, come on, come on, come on. There's a max time for a reason. <laughs> Most of them have a stage limit of like 180 seconds. That way you don't bring your your musket out and start, you know, actually exactly. pushing the rod down the barrel. <laughs> right. And I mean, one, we have speed. Bang. <laughs> We do have speed events in the muzzleloader game, too, but it's a little bit different setup. Okay. So um, in order to get into it, you're just suggesting showing up at a gun club, walking in. Show up and ask. Saying you're a noob and just letting somebody grab you by the hand and walk you through it all. Yeah. Um, I would suggest having a... I would not suggest three gun if you've never shot guns before. I think that is a prerequisite that might be obvious, it might not. The biggest thing with this is it's very dynamic and there's a bunch of movement. So you are sprinting from portions of the course to other sections with a loaded gun in hand. And there's some serious safety concerns with that go along with that. a killing machine in your hand. You're, you're sprinting with... <laughs> yeah. I mean, No, it's... like, there's serious safety concerns that go along with it. And there is a match director or a range officer who stands at your shoulder the whole time and follows you. And the moment anything unsafe happens... They stop you, they take your gun, they kick you out. Like, they are very serious about it because an accident could happen. I did a search on this one time, and I'd have to see if it's still relevant, but I looked last year. In the last 25 years of competition shooting in the U.S., one person had been shot and killed. One? Which, one in 25 years. Because everyone knows that if it becomes, like, a common thing for you to get hurt, it's shut down permanently. So people take it really, really seriously, which I really prefer, of course. But like you said, yeah, there's a lot of dynamic movement. You're running around with a loaded gun. You have to keep pointing in a safe direction. You have to move safely at all times. 
but mistakes could still happen. So if you're still learning how to manipulate a firearm, this is not the place to learn more. You can go watch for sure, and you can shoot afterwards, and you can get pointers, but you want to have a very good grasp how this should work before you go. So realistically, if somebody wanted to get into 3-Gun, there's a lot more steps in the process than just going down and, and being a part of a gun club and, and what did you say, run what you brung or something like that? If you're not an experienced shooter, then yes, there's a lot more steps. Okay, so um, if somebody if, was trying to get into the field of firearms, if that was something they wanted to become passionate about, what would you suggest then? To get into just shooting, I would first off find whatever local firearms training courses are available and research the heck out of them because some are not legit, some are. Do your research and go take some classes before you buy anything. Don't go buy a gun. Go to a class that lets you rent a gun, learn how to safely use it, learn if it's even up your alley. And there's nothing worse than dumping a grand on a gun than realizing, oh God, I hate recoil. I don't want to do this. So go take safety courses. And I used to sell guns at Sports and Warehouse. I have seen the people who come in and buy guns sometimes. And there were folks who should not have bought them, who had no business owning a gun. And it's, without getting political, it's laughably easy to buy a gun because the background check only looks for certain parameters. And it doesn't verify that you have any safety courses under your belt. And that was always scary, sending a gun out the front door when you know that person has no clue what they're doing. So I always recommend if you don't know someone who's into guns and you can't go say, hey, Ryan, can you show me how to shoot? Find some well-reviewed safety courses. Go take a few. Get an understanding of it. Go buy a gun, if that's what you want to do. And then spend time practicing with it. Under supervision at first, and then on your own time, you know, as you would with anything. But really, in, in my opinion, it starts with going to someone who knows what the hell they're doing and saying, show me how to be smart about this and how to be safe about this. And I know I, I, I flick Ryan a bunch of shit <laughs> constantly. As you should. I mean, well, and I think at one point you stated, I don't like you. <laughs> like, we- out, out loud. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I'll, I'll, I know. Ad, I'll admit. I, listen, I'm, I'm going to be your best friend no matter who you are. That's just my personality. I'm a very friendly person. I'm going to walk up and go, archery, when you're in a parking lot trying to get in your truck. <laughs> but I am also kind of an asshole, and I'll, I'll also admit that. I do flick Ryan a lot of shit, and I appreciate Ryan for the fact that I can flick him shit, and at the end of the day, he's still my friend. But one of the biggest things I appreciate about Ryan is Ryan's a, he's a gun nut. Like he's just straight up gun nut. Probably the most intelligent gun nut, not because of his degrees. For sure, you're, you're a very intelligent person. You've used big words on the show, bigger than anybody else. But he's also very intelligent for his gun sense and how he loads his ammunition and you know, there's a lot more thought that goes into owning a gun than you may think. And Ryan, I think this harkens back to what we were talking about. Like, you know where the emergency exit is at all time. Like, you are Mr. Careful. And you take that to everything you do, whether it's guns or it's school or it's whatever. And you've definitely shown me that in the gun world. And that's why I wish that... In, I know I've peddled this to you numerous times. I wish you had a class. And I would tell people to fly in from wherever to take a class from Ryan. If you ever meet Ryan in person, 
obviously he's very comfortable talking about his hobby. But again, and the amount of intelligence Ryan brings to everything he does is why he's so good at what he does. And guns are no exception. And Ryan is very proficient with a gun. And he's also extraordinarily safe with a gun. And he knows everything. And a bow. And I mean everything. Everything Ryan touches, it's going to be a whole safety instruction before you even get to put your hands on that gun. And I'll never forget, I think that was when we came out one time. I came out one time. And we went to the gun range. It was you, and I'm not going to say names, two of our friends, mutual friends, and myself. And it, it was like a class. And we're all good friends. Like, you know, normally when I go shooting with friends, it's just like, oh, yeah, let's go set up cans or whatever. And Ryan was like, no, here's how we're going to do it. And there was specific instructions. And, you know, you had to follow Ryan's rule. The second you stop following Ryan's rule, like you get yanked, like, he is very serious about what he does, and you know, I think I've talked enough about it. I appreciate you for bringing something you don't hear a lot of in that hobby, in that realm. And I hope that, well, I appreciate that. you push that on to other people, and I know you do. So I do try to. And I've, I've met some folks who push as hard as I do, not as many as I would like. I would hope to you know, change that in the general community. I think a big portion of it is, you know, I've got a degree in psych, which really helps with the understanding of how to teach people in a way that they're going to pick up properly. But even outside of that, like I grew up with parents who were extremely safe and extremely pushy about safety. We didn't have toy guns in the house. There was no room for playing, you know, toy soldier. Like you didn't ever make jokes about shooting somebody or anything like that. It was very, very serious. And I, I took it to heart and I truly believe in that. So, yeah, I remember the time we talked about we went out of the range. And anytime I take people out of the range, it is going to be a lesson. One, because I don't want anyone hurt. Two, I want people to learn properly. And I've seen what happens when people don't learn properly. And three, like end of the day, realistically, if you're at the gun range with me using my guns and you do something, that's on me. And I'm not going to be that guy. So I've trained a number of people and... <clears throat> Drew mentioned me setting up a class, which was something I had always wanted to do. Actually, at one point, I did do like the paperwork on getting a firearms training company up and running. Just life happened. I never followed through on it. But I've trained a number of people unofficially, and it's always been the same thing. We're going to spend an hour talking before you get to touch anything because there's a lot to know here. It's not just pick up a gun and shoot away, which is how a lot of folks tend to train. And I don't <laughs> believe in that personally. Unfortunately, yeah. I've seen some who do it really, really well, and I've seen a lot who don't. And, you know, I've got my opinions on like everybody, but I like to think that I'm a fairly good trainer, especially for new people. Oddly enough, most of the folks I've worked with were relatively not friendly towards the notion of guns, and then we'd work and talk and go over why. And usually by the end of it, they were like, you know, this is still kind of a weird thing, but it's not as bad as I thought. And it's something that I can do, and it's a skill that I can learn to be proficient at. And that was always cool to see kind of that shift. But yeah, I, I absolutely love training people. I would love to get back into that. Well, and I'm going to make this, uh, I'm going to make this the thing at the end of the show for you, Ryan, I think you're doing a disservice to people by not having you be their trainer. And I think mm. that you should find time for your next hobby, which should be training people on firearms because Again, I think that you're you're doing a disservice to people by not training them 
because you're that good and you should brag about it. You were that good for starting at 18 and doing what you do. Bring that intelligence to the community. Well, I appreciate that. In all reality, now is a good time in my life to do it. I've there got the go. time and stability to do it. And no Thanks kids. Add more pressures to my life, sir. Well, you got to do. You got to do all your hobbies that you love before kids, and then they become. Yeah, we your still hobby. got a few years on that, so that's good. <laughs> still got a couple years there. Oh well. Uh, thank you, Ryan, for being a part of the show. Uh, this has been the one ounce pour. I hope you all enjoyed and, uh, make sure to follow us on Spotify. Click the little bell icon to get notifications when our new shows launch and, uh, yeah, follow us on Instagram and I don't know where else we are. So I'm not really a social media guy. So (laughs) (laughs) thank you, Drew, very much. Thanks, Ryan. (laughs) 